But hey, we're in week two of a series we're titling uh, Resurrection Stories. As we head into Easter, we want to lean into and explore different stories of resurrection in the Bible. Uh, The hope is that it prepares our hearts for the big day where we come together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And last week, we we kicked off the series by uh, looking at the story of Lazarus. Uh, This week, we're going to be diving into the Old Testament and looking at a resurrection story that revolves around the prophet Elijah. So uh, let's go ahead and get into our scripture passage of the day. Our our reader for the day is Ray Pickett, and our passage is found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. Hey, if you would please all stand with me. Uh, We like to stand and face the center of the the room for the reading of God's word to remind us that it is supposed to be central to our lives. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. You can all be seated. Now, a resurrection is a dramatic and miraculous event, isn't it? One minute, death, lifeless. The next, alive. It's crazy to think about. Can you imagine being a part of an experience like that? Maybe some of us here have lost a loved one. Maybe a sibling, a child, a parent, a spouse. The grief that we have in those moments are extreme. Imagine being in that moment and then alive. Wouldn't that forever change who you are? It would dramatically impact our lives. If you're like me, there's times where I read stories like we just read in the Bible and it doesn't hit me like it probably should. Because when I read the Bible, I expect God to show up in really big ways. And it's almost like it's happening over there. It's not personal. I find myself a little bit removed from the story. Sometimes all of our exposure to the great stories of the Bible, the miracles that Jesus performs, and uh, the wonders that God show can desensitize us to how amazing they are. We forget that there is a realness, that there is a human experience within all of these events. At a first glance, 
This story is impressive, and it's an example of what God is capable of. But if we dive into the reality of the resurrection, and we see the the humanity inside of it, how it greatly changes the people involved, there's things that we can glean from all the characters in this story. And to help us have a greater scope of the reality and humanity of the story, it's important that we go back a little ways. We start at the beginning of chapter 17, where there's two characters. There's Elijah, a prophet of God, and there's uh, King Ahab, who is the king of Israel. Now, King Ahab was married to a queen, Queen Jezebel, and she was hunting down and trying to destroy all the prophets of God. So God sends Elijah into hiding. He hides him at at the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan. And while there, God continues to provide for Elijah. He sends ravens that that bring meat and bread, and he, he puts them right next to a brook so he can have water. But over time, the brook dries up and the resources go away. So God says that he's going to send him somewhere else, to Zarephath, where a widow and son will take care of him. Now, if I'm Elijah, I'm already on the run. I've been barely surviving. God's been faithful. But my hope would be that he'd take me from somewhere, like, a little better than where I was. Maybe it's a rich widow that, that, that can really, you know, bless me. So he's introduced to this widow and her son, and they take him in, despite being ready for their deathbeds due to almost being out of food. During Elijah's stay, he continually provides, God provides enough for them to survive and to live, despite there only being enough oil and, uh, and uh, flour for one meal. The story leads us into our passage And it's important because it helps us better understand the relational dynamics between the characters. And there's a couple of insights that I think we can take that lead into us making the resurrection story more real and personal to our lives. The first insight I want to look at is the reality of the widow's existence. We're first introduced to the widow in 1 Kings 17, verses 10 through 12. It says, So he went to Zarephath. When he came, came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. The loss of a husband in in ancient Israel was normally a social and economic tragedy. In a generally patriarchal culture, the death of a husband usually meant that there was a cultural death as well. They didn't mean anything. The widow uh, was associated with great poverty, but they generally didn't have much of anything. But a son, 
A son was something else. You see, a son was the only ray of hope. With a son, she got to keep her land. She got to have someone to help her work it. She had someone to take care of her when she was older. Really, if you look at the son in the story, a widow's son was her life hope, her optimism, the thing that she needed to survive. When Elijah meets the widow, it's greatly obvious that she is not in a great place financially or in a great place at all. She's living in poverty. She's gathering meager scraps of wood to to try to make a fire to make this last meal before she dies. She was ready for her and her son to die. Her outlook was pretty bleak. It's important for us to know how bad the widow and her son's living conditions were. And it's important for us to know the value that her son had to her. The second important insight uh, that we want to take before we get into our passage is the relationships that are formed through faith and trust. It's important to note that Zarephath was the general region that Queen Jezebel the one who was murdering all these prophets of God, was from. And it was a region that the fertility god Baal was worshipped. And uh, it was also important to know that the widow that Elijah was staying with most likely was a worshipper of Baal and did not worship Elijah's God. So Elijah was required to trust and have faith in a poverty-stricken widow with hardly any food who didn't follow his God in the enemy's land. That requires so much trust and faith. Then you go on the flip side to the widow who, had, who needed faith and trust that she could provide for this complete stranger despite not having any resources and despite the fact she's taking him on the word of a God she doesn't follow. That's a lot of trust and faith. And their faith paid off. In 1 Kings 17, verses 15 and 16, it says, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah And for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So God was faithful. They had trust and faith and God provided. Those two insights are incredibly important because they highlight the humanity, the realness of this passage. Like I said earlier, it's easy to to think of scripture as, oh, it's happening over there. It's not real life. No, these people have relationships. They've gone through hard times together. It gives the story more gravity. So let's get back to the passage of the day. We now have a better understanding of the context and the relational history that lead up. The son of this widow is sick and dying. 
he dies. The widow responds like almost all of us probably would. Like, what did I do, God? Like, why did I do to deserve this? And then she does the next thing we usually do is we blame other people. She blames Elijah. So Elijah, feeling the weight of the situation, grabs the widow's son and brings him up to his upper room. He, he, he says, Lord, why? He's relationally bought in. Lord, why? And then he lays himself over his body three times and cries out, Lord, my God, let this boy live. In this moment, God heard Elijah. In the midst of his chaos, he showed up and the boy lived. Dead, alive. I imagine the widow is downstairs pacing the room, just full of emotions in her own head. When coming down the stairs, Elijah yells, your son is alive. What would you feel in that moment? What a powerful and emotional story. This story is more than just another story about God showing up. And those are important. God does show up. But God shows up in an amazing way in a real and passionate, emotional way in our lives. There's so much at stake in this resurrection story. But what makes this story powerful to our lives? Sure, it was powerful to them, but what makes it powerful to us? There's three elements of the resurrection story here that make it powerful to our lives. And the first is, it reminds us of the realities that come in a resurrection story. In a resurrection story, there's, there's more than just people dying and coming back to life. There is relational connections. There's hurts. There's joys. Elijah, the widow, and her son had been living together for some time, is what the passage said. I'm sure there are those times where they had dinner around the table and had those conversations where they grew closer together. Uh, there were milestones that were achieved that were witnessed by those people. There was mutual friendship and respect being built. When the son died, there was pain. There was mourning. There was a deep feeling of loss. They wondered, what could we have done differently together? It said that Elijah cried out to God. This is not just some death, resurrection. No, this is real. Imagine seeing him resurrected. They shared in awe and amazement and excitement. They had joy together and they were all together changed forever. I want you to really quick, imagine if you had been living with a group of people 
just trying to survive. For a long period of time, you become emotionally invested in those people's lives only to have one of them die. The amount of hurt you'd feel for them is intense. Now imagine that person is back, alive. There would be an abundance of joy. There would be a deeper love and appreciation for that person. This resurrection story is powerful to our lives because it makes it real. It paints the picture that it's not just a story, it's personal. The second element of the resurrection story that makes it powerful is it mirrors and foreshadows Jesus' resurrection. So the first similarity to Jesus that we, that we can find is uh, when there's a jar of flour and a jug of oil and they're miraculously stretched out. Doesn't that sound a lot like five loaves of bread and two little fish? Over thousands to eat? Another moment that mirrors Jesus is in verse 19. Elijah brings the body of this boy to where? The upper room. The place where Jesus had his last supper with his disciples before his death. When Elijah stretches himself over the boys, how many times? Three. Like the three days that he had to sit in the tomb before his resurrection. But the most obvious way that it points to Jesus is that it's a son who dies and is resurrected. And in the story, his resurrection changes the lives of everybody involved in that story. And that leads me to the third way, third element of the resurrection story that makes it powerful to us. And that is it shows how resurrection impacts and transforms our lives, and more importantly, how Jesus' resurrection transforms our lives. In this story, the resurrection deeply impacts every single person involved. When we look at the widow, we see uh, a woman without her son doesn't have much of a future. Her hope is gone. Maybe her land is gone. The one person she had that she loved is gone. She's struck with even more grief, and she's going through a drought in the midst of that. When we look at Elijah, had God not shown up in a big way, maybe his faith begins to falter. Maybe he's not ready for the big next steps that are lie ahead of him. But the resurrection changed everything. For the widow, her hope was restored. But more importantly, something inside her changed. Earlier in the passage, she did not acknowledge God as her God. It was Elijah's God. But the passage ends with her saying, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. There's a transformation. She went 
from not believing in God to not having a faith and trustful relationship with God to having one. And this is huge because this is the first instance where a Gentile has a faithful and trusting relationship with God. And that foreshadows and paves the way for Jesus' ministry, the inclusion of everyone. In Elijah's case, his hope and reality may not have been altered too terribly, but there's a ripple effect. The experience has an impactful moment, is an impactful moment in his life. The next big task for Elijah in the Bible, if you continue in 1 Kings, is he goes to Mount Carmel, where he takes on the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, defeats them. I don't know if this happens, if God doesn't show up in a big way. This gave him the courage, the faith, and trust to know that his God could do anything. And that's what the resurrection story can do for us too. It can give us faith that our God can do anything. The resurrection story of the widow's son is powerful to our lives because it makes it personal. It makes it real. It points us towards Jesus and it shows us the power his resurrection can have on us and what it can do to change us. Now there's gonna be times in our lives when we struggle where we're faced with hardships that kill a piece of us inside. Maybe you're in that kind of a season right now. Or maybe you're watching a family member go through a season like that, but it's impacting you. It's in those moments that we need to remember that we are part of a real and transformational resurrection story. When we choose to put our faith in Jesus, we are forever changed. And regardless of whatever circumstance comes our way, he can change it. Is there an aspect of your life that needs resurrection? Is there someone in your family or some friends that you have that need prayer for a resurrection? Maybe it's a sin that started to take over our lives or maybe it's the terrible circumstance, whether it's health or family. Bring it to Jesus. Because his real resurrection story that you are all a part of can transform any circumstance. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you so much for being able to come here this morning, gather, to, to worship you, to, to get in your word. Lord, I ask that we can all come to trust and have faith in you like Elijah did, and that regardless of what things are thrown our way, Lord, you will, uh, your resurrection can transform us in those moments and allow us to, to get through what we need to get through. God, we're so thankful for sending Jesus 
and for his resurrection and what it means for our futures. I ask that you be with these people here today and the people watching online and that if there's something they're in need of a resurrection in their life, that you would make that happen, God. Help them come to you. We love you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.